0: Christianbeekcentral.com
1: Episode 505 <laughs> Warning Access restricted please submit to DNA verification Processing Verification complete Access granted welcome <laughs>
0: Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live increasingly for Christ, experiencing the life-giving freedom and purpose he has made us for. For more info about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out SpiritBlade.com. But on the show today, my essential issues look at Superman's Secret Origins, the six issue miniseries, which is also going to be available again in trade paperback very soon. Uh, also some news about some new Christian geek fiction that's uh, come out recently and some thoughts about the Conan Exiles single player experience on the PlayStation 4. Let's get to it. This time I'm taking a look at Conan Exiles. Now I've had my eye on this one, it's been a blip on my radar for years. I'm not like especially a, a fan of Robert E. Howard, I think is the author's name, who created Conan and other works in this kind of like dark sword and sorcery type of vein. But I love that, I love the kinds of stories, the kinds of entertainment that's inspired by Conan, Dungeons and Dragons and those other kinds of sword and sorcery types of stories. So while I'm not really familiar with the lore outside of the Jason Momoa movie, uh, I really enjoy this type of setting. I'm also pretty new to the survival genre, which this game uh, reportedly fits squarely into. I have never been into the barfy blocks of Minecraft, and the closest I've come to a survival type of game would be Dragon Quest Builders, which I really enjoyed, but, uh, you know, is, is more of like a building game and less of like a survive out in the world and just make your own way of it, which, from what I understand, is really what this game is about. It's starting with absolutely nothing and building up kind of a camp or a city or whatever, an outpost, and uh, creating a, a, a thriving livelihood in this sword and sorcery environment. So, potentially, this could be kind of a new type of game from I really like open-world games. I like open-world RPGs, Uh, and as you can see in my list here of games that I've been playing lately, I've really been into Monster Hunter World, Assassin's Creed Origins, uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands, uh, Far Cry 5 as well. I have, like, this embarrassing wealth of games that I'm really enjoying right now. Most of them I may be halfway through or more, but I still have so much... Playtime to get out of them that I don't really I'm not hungry for a different type of game another game to add to my list and so that means this game kinda has stiff competition in terms of my available free time what I'm wondering is if this kind of experience which I haven't really had before in games will pop out enough and be of you know scratch the right kinds of itches for me that it will stand out and it will pull me to give it some time even though i just have this wealth of other games that i'm really enjoying right now let's find out well those were my introductory thoughts about uh, conan exiles taken from my trial and error video which you can watch uh, over at youtube.com slash christian geek central rather than just give you the audio from the period the bulk of the of the middle of that video where i'm actually playing the game i'll just kind of give you my thoughts Uh, About what that experience was like. Um, First off, I am happy to report that it does totally function as a single player experience, even though it's very obvious that it's largely intended to be, to function as a, uh, as a online multiplayer experience. You have the option of kind of editing the ser- your server settings. It kind of assumes that you might be setting up a server for a bunch of people to play on, and you can make yourself the admin of that server and, and tweak a whole bunch of settings, which is really cool because it allows you to adjust the difficulty on the fly or change the day-night cycle if you want your nights to be short, you know, which I really did. Uh, so I, I tweaked that a bunch. Um, you can also adjust whether or not there is uh, partial nudity or no nudity. The European versions, I believe, there is uh, the option for full nudity, but I think in Canada, the U.S., and maybe Mexico or something like that, there's uh, full nudity is not an option. I really appreciate the option of taking off n- uh, nudity altogether because the, uh, uh, the, the Conan, what do you call it, the Conan IP is uh, known for a number of things and one of those is just visually objectifying uh sexually objectifying mostly women sometimes men arguably too but i think largely women and so uh that was nice to uh, to to be able to have uh, some control over that um it's it's glitchy uh, <laughs> there's some frame rate stuff going on now and then not a ton i am not like a big graphics you know connoisseur and so really for me it's about are the graphics good enough to present the the vibe of the world that the that the artists intended, you know, beyond that I don't need you know the the, the textures to be super detailed and for there to be absolutely no jaggies visible and stuff like that. So, uh, and, and I think that it does a fine job of representing the 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 dark sword and sorcery world of the 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 Conan uh, intellectual property. So I was happy with that. Um, the biggest problem I had with this game was just figuring out. How to use certain systems. Um, the, there's no tutorials built into this game. The closest thing are these uh, th- this journey log or something like that, where where you can go and it'll give you benchmarks. There's ten chapters listed, uh, th- which it's you could kind of think of it as a tutorial, I guess. But in chapter one, they will be like make shelter, make clothes, da 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 da. You know, uh, so it's almost like achievements too. You could look at it that way. But but it's not. They're not quests. They're just kind of like here. You know, these are things that you can do and an order that you could do them in that makes sense you know so but beyond that there's no quests and no tutorials there's not even like tool tips when you hover over something like you know here's what you use this for I mean it there's so much that I was in the dark about so it's 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 one of those experiences that uh, I, I think you're just going to have to resign yourself to jumping online to get a bunch of questions uh, answered um, in terms of what's going on in the menus. Like, what does this mean? What is cycle day night? Uh, what, what is, or no, cycle, no, what, not cycle day night, cycle, cycle crafting. And I was like, what do you mean cycle crafting? I pushed the button. It didn't seem to do anything. And <laughs> I don't know what that option is. So there was just like little things that I didn't know what they did. And there was no explanation of what they did. Uh, so that was a bit rough. There are, in addition to all the tweaks you can make, there are three difficulty levels. Um, I am notoriously bad at uh, a- action games or anything that requires quick thinking, and uh, I-, I found that I was doing pretty good. I mean, I died a-, a couple of times near the beginning, but, you know, I just figured out how to dodge, how- or how to roll dodge roll, or whatever the crap it is, you know, and uh, that served me pretty well. Um, uh, I, there's no, not really been a danger of me running out of materials nearby because the trees and even the rocks regenerate after a time. So, uh, and, and the the crafting options, I mean, the the tree can get really pretty. It can branch off more and more into a forest of, you know, branches and twigs and stuff of things that uh, you'll need to craft so that you can craft this, so you can craft this, so you can craft this, so you can craft this, you know, so um, there's definitely a lot there to keep you busy if, you, if you're familiar with the idea of kind of like a crafting chain. And on the crafting side of things, I, I have found it very satisfying, you know, I I uh, enjoyed Dragon Quest Builders. That was the first time I'd played any kind of a like a Minecraft or survival type of game. Um, it was a little bit, you know, bright and chipper as far as aesthetically speaking. And uh, this, I looked at this game as an opportunity like, okay, well, maybe I could, it'd be cool if I could have the Dragon Quest Builders type of experience, but with a more serious uh, sword and sorcery kind of vibe. And one thing I like about this over Dragon Quest Builders is It really just drops you essentially naked into a hostile environment and says, okay, go, survive, make the best of things, and you even have the potential to not only survive, but thrive and conquer, you know. Uh, And so I love that idea. In fact, that's what I wanted from Dragon Quest Builders rather than the segmented worlds that you had to progress through in that game. I, I, I love the idea of just like, just drop me here. And give me a few things I can craft to start with that'll lead to bigger and better things I can craft more and more along the way, and let's see what I can make of myself and make of this world. Um, excuse me. Uh, so yeah, I've really been enjoying that. Um, there's a, a few kind of glitchy things here and there in addition to, you know, frame rate stuff There's uh, th- that I think is I would hope is kind of get patched out uh like sometimes when I approach like a boulder to start hacking at it with my pick, I will be right in front of it. The pick is undoubtedly hitting the rock, but it's not detecting like the game is not detecting that the rock is being hit. you know it even makes a chunk sound of like a thunk thunk thunk, but it doesn't make the 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 chiseling sound of the, it's hard to describe without seeing it, but like there's a th- there's like a dull thud that you make when you just hit the dirt or anything, and then when you're hitting rock and actually chipping away at it, let's say that, like, seven chips will make the whole thing crumble, and then you get the components from that... Um, it wasn't recording, like I'd be hitting this boulder and I'd be getting the thunk sound I'm like, what are you talking about? I see that it's hitting it, I hear an impact sound But I'd have to reposition my guy a little bit to the left or to the right And then I guess it would hit the sweet spot that, that detects that I actually am Chiseling away at that rock in order to break it apart and get the component So um, so weird, like I guess we would call that collision detection But I don't know, I'm not even sure if that would be the right phrase Because it was, like I said, there was the thunk It wasn't that I was just swinging at air And it, it wasn't giving me any kind of response at all uh, weird, and then there's also some artifacts of the, that that are that make it obvious that it came from PC and was ported to console. Um, one of them being that there's a little crosshair in the middle of the screen, and sometimes you have to have that crosshair lined up on the object you want to loot in order to loot that object, uh, rather than just kind of getting your guy near it. And then hitting a button and it'll automatically, you know, detect that you are near and it won't, you know, open up that menu to show you what the, the dead body has on it, you know. Um, so you have to have that crosshair in addition to be facing, have your guy facing. It's a third person game, you know. Um, and uh, And other times, like that crosshair didn't seem to be relevant at all. Like when I was hitting somebody, I just had, I could have the crosshair right on them and then I hit the button to attack and I swing whatever direction my guy was facing, you know, regardless of, you know, where, where the crosshair is. And so it's like, sometimes it's dependent on the crosshair and other times it's like, screw the crosshair, which way is your dude facing? That's what's important. So there's just like some, some inconsistencies in my, uh, in, in my experience with it as a, as a console, controlling it as a console game, you know, not to mention just all the lack of tutorials and stuff. So, um, whew, kind of rough in that regard. But at the same time, you know, I'm getting what I want from the experience. It's like, um, I'm enjoying the progression loop, you know, I mean, I'm enjoying getting the materials, gathering them and making what I can of them. And, uh, and just, and just building up my base, building up my shelter. And uh, so I'm enjoying that loop. The world itself, at times I wish that I could have a more permanent effect on it rather than the trees and rocks growing back. But it is nice to be able to have those components readily available. Um, One thing I I definitely don't like about the world is the the respawn system of the bad guys. It it doesn't really put me at a big disadvantage, but you can be... And you'll see this if you watch the video. You can be facing one direction, looking you know, checking out your field of view, and there'll be like, say a, a dead corpse that's like you know twenty feet in front of you um and then you pan the camera around to look behind you for a second, you turn back around to where that corpse was. it's gone. It is gone um and like the reverse is has also been known to be true i look i check out the area it's like okay good this area is clear oh let me look that that way one more time yep still clear and then i hear <laughs> and i turn around to where i was just facing a second ago and there's like this crazy savage dude that is like freaking charging me and he clearly just appeared from 20 30 feet away you know so there's like a, a really kind of cheap respawning that's going on that can really be kind of lame. And and it takes away from, this I didn't comment on in, in the video, but it takes away from me as a player feeling like I'm in control of my... Situation. If I look around carefully enough You know, I feel like that should be a reward For a game like this Where you're exploring a world Where if you are perceptive Then guys can't get the drop on you But in this game They can totally get the Well, not totally I mean, you can hear them coming But, uh, anyway I just, I don't like the respawning thing And speaking of hearing them coming There is a weird phenomenon In the audio mixing of this game I haven't looked to see if I can... Turn this down in the audio settings it wouldn't really fix the problem though but like th- there's there's atmospheric creature noises that are not the noises of actual creatures on the map that could affect you it's just like okay, you're in a jungle environment so the, it's like the programmers thought well what kinds of sounds would you hear and, well you'd probably hear some of the wildlife you know um, and so they'll take wildlife sounds and put them in there but they the way it's mixed is that they sound like they are just off camera to your left. You know, or or maybe just a little bit off in the distance, and then the guys that are like maybe fifty feet away, they're so high up in the mix that they they feel like they are freaking right next to you if you turn and turn and look, you know, uh, behind you. And I I thought while I was playing that maybe this would, was a f- of a phenomenon of me wearing headphones. For those of you that have watched my. Uh, Live streams or watch my trial and error videos you you may know by now that when I put headphones on it makes the whole experience so much more present and intense for me, even games that are not normally scary uh become really intense for me because of the 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 head what the headphones do um, and because i 'm just i process information auditorily uh more than i do uh, visually i think and um, just so i'm just very sensitive to the things that i hear um and so i thought that you know once i was done doing the trial and error video recording all that and went to you know just using speakers in my own you know leisure time uh that it wouldn't it wouldn't have the same effect on me maybe but it's still no it's still like way hot too high in the mix so that it seems like these creatures are much closer than they actually are and then of course you've also got sounds of creatures that it seems like you could turn and they'd be somewhere on the map but they are nowhere to be found and so ugh so the the i guess just the the audio mix <laughs> i have some significant issues with it it just affects my perception of the uh, of the world around me There also doesn't seem to be the option For like a a mage class I didn't think there would be going in I kind of hoped there might be Even though there's nothing about it in the publicity materials But that's something that might be patched in later You know one thing I will say Is that I, I think that this game is probably going to be Supported for a while I mean at least more than a game like Two Worlds Which I really enjoyed It's one of my favorite open world RPGs And it on the Xbox 360 Was ugly and glitchy And broken as all get out Uh, But I still really enjoyed my experience with that game. And I I get similar vibes with this one. It's like, at times, it's not pretty... At at times, it looks like just kind of a nice-looking 360 game, even playing on my PS4. Um, And, you know, it's glitchy, and it's unintuitive, and stuff like that. Well, I've been playing Monster Hunter World, and so I've kind of been primed and gotten used to a little bit looking up things and questions that I have online, and this game has been in uh well not open beta what do you call it early access on both pc and xbox one for like a year now and so there is Already a very active community that's been talking about this game for the last year And so I I was easily able to find answers to all my questions I just had to slide over to my PC, type it in really quick in Google And then I pretty much got an answer right away So it's uh, because I've gotten used to that a little bit with Monster Hunter World It's I I wouldn't even necessarily call it um, an an annoyance anymore for me to have to do that So that's something that I'm willing to accept The uh, Some of the jankiness uh, I'm willing to accept Um, I've, I've, it's not, it's not been that big of a deal, even with the, the non-intuitive nature of things. I was able to figure out some of that stuff and you can see me kind of figuring things out as I'm making my way through the game, the first five hours of the game in my trial and error video. So, um, I, I don't think I ever felt frustrated except, um, when I, my expectations were still that these things ought to be included in the game tutorials and things like that and tooltips and but once i just accepted you know you know okay that's it's not in there this is not a triple a game it's not really an indie either it's like double a somewhere in the middle you know a small studio you know um once i just kind of accepted this is what this thing is uh i embraced it for the unique Traits that it has and, and in my case Specifically that is I wanted to have A survival Slash crafting Experience That um, Did not have Barfy Minecraft Visuals Or like Cutesy Dragon Quest Builders visuals But like had More serious Dark sword and sorcery Type visuals And setting And stuff like that uh, I wanted that kind of game And there I don't know of another game That would give me that In a single player environment So um, I yeah, even as uh, as mixed as my feelings have been about the experience, and, and I can look and say the last game I reviewed, God of War, I can say, wow, that is a much quote-unquote better game because it has so much more production value and it has so fewer flaws and bumpy, you know, things and clunky things and stuff, but the gameplay in God of War had puzzles that I just could not tolerate. It just had these little things that I was like, nope, nope. I've got plenty of other games that'll scratch all the itches that I'm liking about God of War. Um, I don't need to deal with any of this other crap. And with this one, I'm able to overlook some of the clunkiness because it is scratching some itches for me that other games are not. So uh, anyway, that was basically my playthrough experience. Here are some of my closing thoughts from my trial and error video, and then we'll move on to the next segment. Now, up to this point, you know, you've got these... uh, chapters in your journey right and there's 10 chapters and in the course of about five hours uh with this game some of that spent looking up things online but not much um i've gotten through over two chapters close to two and a half chapters but suddenly i've hit just a little bit of a wall that's gonna be, I think, slowing me down, where I'm having to dive into the crafting system really full bore now. And so checking each of these boxes on the the, the chapter descriptions, I think, is probably gonna start taking longer, requiring more. And that's exciting to me. If I was going through this at the current at the rate I've been going at. Which is completing two chapters in about five hours. Then I would complete chapter ten right around 25 hours, and uh, that's pretty good value. Having said that, I think I'm going to have to be slowing down now because checking off each of these boxes, it looks like it's going to have to. It's going to require me to have to dig into the other systems of the game. That you know, something as simple as crafting a piece of armor might require me to do several steps and learned a a succession of skills in the crafting system in order to just check off that one box. And so I can see potential for it to slow down and uh, take even longer to check off all these boxes. But even if it doesn't, at my current pace, 25 hours out of the game, that's great. That's great. So after spending about five hours with the game, I am wanting to move forward with it. It's definitely got its issues. It's uh, rough. It's still, I mean, I... I've never followed an early access game before, including this one. I also didn't have any expectations of this game. I just was like, okay, here's this much money that you're asking me to pay. Let's see what you're giving me, and I feel like I'm getting my money's worth so far. But understand, as I said early on, I think, uh, graphics aren't a big selling point to me. You know, I can even do without a good amount of polish. Two Worlds is one of my favorite open-world RPGs, and that is glitchy and broken as all get-out. I think there's reason to think that this game, despite its glitches and weird things going on here and there, and its just kind of roughness, clunkiness at times, I think there's reason to think that it's going to be getting certainly more support than Two Worlds did. The developers have already talked about, you know, the, the things they plan on adding to the game, both as free updates and then, you know, after that as DLC later on. I can see why a lot of people might not like this game or might find it disappointing because of all the the roughness and clunkiness, both in terms of how it performs visually with the the weird glitches and the stuttering in the frame rates, but then also in kind of the clunkiness in the systems and the user interface. But here's what cuts through all of that for me. It's a survival crafting game which I've always been curious about and I've just tipped my toes in the water uh, exploring that genre with Dragon Quest Builders. I really have wanted to explore that genre in a setting more like this that is uh, dark sword and sorcery that isn't either blocky, pukey Minecraft visuals or, you know, cutesy, fun Dragon Quest visuals. So this fits the kind of theming and setting that I like in a game, and it's scratching a type of gameplay itch that I've not really had scratched uh, anywhere else before, outside of Dragon Quest Builders, and even that was a bit of a different experience because this one is so open-ended. In fact, this kind of scenario, where you are just plopped down essentially naked in a hostile environment and told to survive and maybe even conquer and thrive here in this entire world that's open to you from the get-go, that's kind of—that's really what I wanted from Dragon Quest Builders instead of the segmented worlds they had you progress through. I'm also content to jump online now and then when I have questions. I kind of have gotten used to that <laughs> uh, playing Monster Hunter World, so I'm a little more primed for that kind of a gaming experience uh, now. So I think there's a really good chance that I'm going to enjoy this. I'm a little bit surprised, but I think it's going to be competing for my uh, playtime, even though I've got these other games that I'm really enjoying right now. So (laughs) E3 is going to have a hard time getting me excited (laughs) this year because uh, I could kind of use a break and some time to uh, not have any games to be excited about buying. One of the itches this game is, is scratching is something that I think a lot of games touch on in their uh, mechanics, if not their theming, and that is um, progression and kind of basically a, uh, a version of work that doesn't involve the frustrations that we deal with. This is speculation, but I think I have reason to believe that many games are the result of a kind of subconscious outworking of our desire for work to be the way it was meant to be, to be the way it was before sin entered the world and screwed everything up. After Adam and Eve essentially said, God, we don't trust that you really have our best interests at heart. We're gonna do things our own way. We're gonna, we want paradise, but we don't want you uh, holding us accountable for anything in particular. Once they made that choice, everything changed their source of life they were they were cut off from their source of life and death became the consequence god said to adam curse it is the ground because of you in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground i think work is meant to produce and be fruitful. I think work is even meant to be challenging in a positive way, but the fall screwed everything up, and now we are met with frustrations that actually work against our productivity, and on top of all that, we have death waiting for us. If you think about it, uh, so much of the frustration that we have about our lack of productivity or not achieving certain goals is because there's a clock constantly running in the background. We realize that we only have a certain number of years on this planet, and then our time is up. That's because of the fall. On top of that, I think there's reason to believe that not only will work be restored to what it was always meant to be, but it will actually be perfected. It'll be something better than it was even before the fall. If we fast forward now to the other end of the Bible, in Revelation 21, uh, verse 4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more tears because of frustrating work situations, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away skip ahead in chapter 21 to verse 24, talking about the new Jerusalem. Uh, Part of its description says, by its light will the nations walk. So there will still be structured groups of people. uh, And it goes on to say, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So these kings, these nations, what they are known for, their glory, they will bring into the new Jerusalem. That sounds a lot like productivity happening and the fruits of that labor being brought in as part of a celebration, maybe even as some form of commerce into the new Jerusalem. I think when Christ comes and fixes this mess we've made, he's not going to get rid of work. He's going to restore and then perfect it. And games, particularly games like this one that deal with productivity, that deal with fighting against death in a hostile environment and trying to be productive under those circumstances, I think those types of games and experiences are actually a subconscious desire being expressed for work to be restored and perfected. And they can even function as a little bit of a foretaste of what work might be someday. Rewarding, fun, fun challenging but without the real frustrations that we face when we clock in to go to work each day i want to remind you guys to go check out the other members of the christian geek central network such as the strangers and aliens podcast the theology gaming podcast the untold podcast postos helix reviews and the retro rewind podcast for more information about the cgc network visit christiangeekcentral.com.
1: Data collection complete.
0: Activating news and net 1.0. This week at the, on the forums, I should say, at uh, ChristianGeekCentral.com, I'm asking the question in a little kind of announcement sticky. You should be able to find it pretty easily on our forums. Should we move our community to Facebook? That's the question that's on my mind right now. Tim O'Donnell and I are uh, going to be talking soon about, um, uh, about a, a new site for christian geek central creating like a an, an overhauled new site and and so I, I put this topic on the table before i thought this would be a good time to do that again so i would love to get your thoughts on that there's actually some uh, a, a, another option that is kind of splintered off of that that was brought up on the forum so I, i'd love to get your thoughts on that as well anyway if you are interested in helping us figure out where we're going to go in terms of the future of how we hang out and talk to each other via, you know, text-based community uh, on uh, online. Um, then please go over to the forums at christiangeekcentral.com and uh, and let me know what your thoughts would be about that. Also, this week at youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral, I've put up my video on new Christian sci-fi and fantasy novels that have come out in the spring of 2018. Also, my trial and error video titled Conan Exiles PS4 Single Player is like the end of the world. Uh, and lastly, you should be able to find now my uh, Superman Secret Origin Essentials uh, Essential Issues video. Um, so while you're there, if you want to like, share, and subscribe, that would be a helpful way to to, to help grow the, uh, the community, both at YouTube.com and Christian Geek Central. Uh, what else? I think that's it. Let's move along. If I was about to forget every comic story I'd ever read, but could first record a message for myself just before the mind wipe... This would be the result. Hey, I'm Peter Franson from ChristianGeekCentral.com and Spiritblade Productions. Welcome to Essential Issues, where I talk about my favorite DC comics of the past that are still affordably available today, uh, blabbing about why they are special to me and what, if anything, they have to say about the essential issues of life. Uh, Now, warning this series does freely contain spoilers, but I think even spoiled, the stories I feature are still well worth reading. Okay, Pater, whether you've read Crisis yet or not, uh, now's the time it makes sense to get introduced to the core characters of the DC Universe. And who is more at the core than Superman, right? Uh, You know his basic origin story, but what Superman story best provides a foundation for who Superman, like, essentially is and why he's worth reading about. Superman's origins have been explored several times since the Crisis on Infinite Earths story that I recommended you read last time. First, with the Man of Steel miniseries written by, I think it was uh, John Byrne, or maybe he did the art? I can't remember. But anyway, that was published shortly after Crisis on Infinite Earths and provided this rebooted new version of who Superman was, establishing his status quo and that of his supporting cast as well. Uh, and I thought that was going to be my recommendation today, but I revisited it and realized, no, it's not, uh, not quite what I would choose. Uh, it created a new visual and conceptual take on the 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 society of krypton and was held that whole concept of krypton as it was revamped in man of steel uh, was held onto for a long time it began also to ground superman psychologically exploring his feelings about how the public reacted to him uh, the first time he made his existence known there are still some panels there where he's where he's sitting alone in the dark and his his you know pa comes in and he says they all wanted a piece of me, pa, you know, that still, like, uh, haunts me. It's just a wonderful uh, moment that shows his uh, his humanity. And yet the, the writing style in that six-issue miniseries is very dated now, and the entire concept of Krypton Society has been rebooted again at least once or twice since then. You can get the Man of Steel miniseries collected for $10 on Kindle, and it's uh, worth checking out if you have money to burn on your curiosity, but it's not essential. Um, Mark Wade's 12-issue series Birthright uh, just never connected with me. I know some people really do like it. The art style felt angular and rough and the story was just very forgettable to me. I, I know he spent some time in Africa. I couldn't tell you a single other thing that happened in that entire 12-issue run. Uh, it was an attempt, I think, to modernize Superman's origins a bit, but it just felt like it left behind what, for me, uh, are some of the essential elements, the essential feel of who Superman Superman is and why I I want to read stories about him. A Superman for all seasons uh, does an incredible job of representing the influence of Jonathan and Martha Kent on Superman's character, on Clark's character. Uh, it gives, sup- gives Superman, gives Clark uh, a humble and virtuous personality that I just loved so much uh, as it was represented in that story. So much of what that story does and is is captured on a single page when, while saving a kid who compliments Superman on his costume, uh, Clark says, Thanks, my mom made it for me. It was just like this... <laughs> (laughs) It's so perfect. Only Superman, you know, would say that. Uh, It's a story that explores Superman's heart and the people and experiences in Smallville that shaped him into the hero of Metropolis. It's a highly recommended read that you can get for $15 in print or $10 on Kindle, but the art style is very particular sometimes exaggerated and it 's still not a, a single essential introductory foundation for the man of steel uh, as I think of him for that pater you 've got to read the six issue series Superman Secret Origin by Jeff Johns and Gary frank um, all right let 's start with uh, talking about issue number one and you can you 'll be able to get all these in a collection i 'll tell you about at the end here, but uh, in issue number one. Peter, initially you might be put off by the uh, obvious incorporation of Christopher Reeve's face as inspiration, especially seeing his face on the body of a young boy is just kind of still looks kind of creepy to me. It's uh, it's going to feel a bit weird and a little too strong of, of an homage to the famed Superman actor, but just try to get over it, Peter, because Jeff Johns brings his ability to identify and enhance and bring out the core elements of characters uh, and keep character motivations as the driving force of the story. Uh, he does that wonderfully through Clark himself and also the surrounding cast. The Kents, his parents, are responsible, loving parents with a with a healthy marriage. Um, it's just a beautiful rarity in current story trends focusing on broken or dysfunctional parent-child relationships. I think it was a big mistake. Mistake later on, uh, when they allowed Jonathan Kent to die, you know, I think that to, to have a, a grown adult who has a great relationship with his parents as an adult uh, is just a beautiful and rare thing, especially in fiction. Um, but that's something that I've experienced, and uh, I would love to see more of as just kind of a beautiful ideal that we can look to in in comic books. Um, it uh, it pulls some of some of the interesting ideas that could be found from the TV show. Smallville, and also creates some moments uh, of its own that are echoed in the movie uh, Man of Steel. Uh, And so in that way, it both draws from uh, previous iterations of the character that have been kind of iconic, and creates some wonderful moments that uh, become iconic on their own, and then are repeated elsewhere. It introduces concepts like uh, Clark's glasses, why he wears them, uh, and the the origin of his costume. And it does these things in ways that acknowledge some of the weirdness uh, of the elements of superman uh, that maybe haven't aged well since their conception in the uh, in the the late 30s and early 40s um but the but the way they kind of poke at those things and prod at kind of their awkwardness and weirdness is done in ways that that, that make you feel more sympathetic toward toward clark lex luther's origins are also explored as it's re-established in this series uh that lex Luthor is also from smallville and knew clark briefly at least when he lived there and um uh, so that's kind of a nice bit that had been retconned out. They decided to bring that back in. Uh, then moving on to issue number two, this issue explores the Superboy years, which also had been retconned out. That you know, for a long time, it's post-Crisis on Infinite Earths, it was established that no, there was no, there were no Superboy years. He just became Superman, and that was it. You know, um, but now those that that concept is brought back in, but it's still compatible with the rebooted version because he's really just Superboy in secret. He's still only operates in Smallville and even then is trying to really remain invisible as much as possible, partly because he finds uh, it embarrassing to wear the costume <laughs> that he's wearing, which, again, is a great touch. Um, but this, also issue, this issue also uh, introduces the Legion of Superheroes who uh, come back in time to meet him because their whole society and the, the Legion of Superheroes is modeled after Superman as kind of the prototype of all superheroes. And so they wanted to come back and visit him as a boy. And so then it opens up the door for him he goes with them into the future and uh, and there's there's uh, the implication that he's going to continue having adventures with them possibly in the future and so uh, it allows those Superboy years to be brought back into uh, to continuity but in kind of a sneaky way that still makes his debut as Superman as an adult still very very meaningful and shocking and surprising to the world there's a little beat in here which is repeated in a later issue where Lex Luthor says miracles don't exist. Lex Luthor is being presented as like this high intellectual uh, but not only that but he also takes the view that miracles or the supernatural, or whatever, don't exist. So it's attaching naturalism uh, to the an intellect of a highly intellectual person, but that person is also a villain, which is an interesting choice. Very different from, say, attaching naturalism as Star Trek does to a highly advanced society of civil and self-sacrificing people. There's also a little beat in this issue where uh, it's explained for the first time why Clark wears his costume under his clothes all the time so that he can be instantly ready to change into Superman, and that that is actually sparked because of his interaction with the Legion of Superheroes. Moving on to issue number three, we fast forward to clark 's first day uh, in Metropolis at the Daily Planet right away, you can see the influence of christopher reeve 's interpretation of Clark Kent and surprisingly it still works for me it, it, even even as the, the the stereotype of nerds has changed radically since those movies which based their version of being a nerd off of kind of a 1950s version of of, of what a nerd was and uh, uh and this doesn't i mean it doesn't necessarily feel like a 1950s nerd um but it doesn't feel necessarily well it doesn't feel at all like the stereotype of a geek or a nerd that we would have maybe today uh it's somewhere in the middle it's kind of timeless in a sense i i thought it really worked well and that surprised me a bit Um, and given Clark's social difficulties and insecurities in his early years, which is explored in the uh, the first two issues uh, I was led to wonder while reading this issue, how much of Clark's persona uh, as a bumbling, mild-mannered reporter in a metropolis, how much of that is an act, and how much is just an exaggerated version of a very real part of himself, so I found that really interesting to read uh, this time around I should also mention Gary Frank's art uh, and the the way that many great character and story moments are told through visual subtext rather than forced dialogue, uh, there is plenty of text, but it partners so well with the visuals uh, it 's kind of like a movie with both great writing and layered actor performances. Uh, Speaking of art, Frank nails Superman's physique in my opinion. He is muscular, yes, but not so bulky that he still looks like a jock uh, even when dressed as mild-mannered Clark Kent. Uh, and that's an interpretation that I've always disliked when he's really bulky uh, as Clark Kent. Superman is imposing and awe-inspiring because of who he is and how he carries himself and interacts with others, not because of how big his chest is. And Gary Frank and Jeff John seem to understand that in this story. Lois also gets a great introduction, establishing her as a bold go-getter and also very perceptive as she notices right away there's something special about Clark she can't quite put her finger on um, and uh, and really suggests that he. You know is aware of this that he 's actually kind of like trying to keep part of him a secret from other people that that he's purposefully obscuring some element of himself that she can't quite put her finger on um once again. Jeff Johns has no trouble borrowing some great elements from past Superman stories, including the iconic helicopter rescue that was featured in Superman the movie it is represented here with some new dialogue uh and in you know slightly different circumstances and uh and also they bring back the uh, this hint of Clark feeling overwhelmed at the attention of spectators who see him for the first time and are reacting to him um, and we see kind of like how he deals with that in that original Man of Steel miniseries so I really appreciated since I consider that such a, a significant moment and contribution to the mythos of Superman to have that moment in that original Man of Steel miniseries I appreciated that they, uh, that they felt it was important too to kind of emphasize that to bring back again Clark's reaction to people uh, and, and how they, uh, they reacted to his existence uh, when they discovered him for the first time. Moving to issue number four now, this, this issue explores Lex Luthor's egocentric motives, which, you know, he's that's been a present when we've seen him in past issues leading up to this but I think it really kind of opens them up a little more here um, and it features a, a rebooted origin also for the villain Parasite which emphasizes his personality traits and what they have in common with uh, the powers that he develops um, and it's also got some great monster movie body horror vibes that uh, that I really like as a monster movie fan and again of note Luther once more says in this bitter way miracles don't exist again attaching naturalism to a villain which I thought was really interesting. Um, there's a great brief moment contrasting Jimmy Olsen's critical, unsupportive parents that he clearly does not have a good relationship with. Contrasting that with Clark's loving and affirming parents. It's it's such a brief moment, it would be easy to to, to just kind of miss if you're just kind of gliding your way through the, the comic, but uh, I, I found it moving, even as brief as it was, and I appreciated that it was there. Um, in general, a theme of the issue, I think, is maybe... Selfishness in Metropolis, and how most people are just trying to get handouts, or are in some way trying to take advantage of each other. And I think that's important for to set that up for where they're going in the future issues with uh, what Superman's role in that context is going to be. Looking at issue number five now, this issue begins to explore the potential romance between Lois and Clark, and that there is a potential attraction there on the part of Lois toward Clark. We, you know, I think we can tell that the Clark is interested in Lois You know Um They share a a business lunch date where her interest in him begins to show but then kind of fizzles out as Clark goes back and forth between being the true virtuous man that he is and then this kind of put on awkward but necessary disguise of the bumbling Clark Kent. As readers, we get little glimpses of how Clark quietly uses his powers in social situations. This was great, such as when the overly macho John Corbin shakes Clark's hand trying to establish his alpha male status but is instead met with the friendly, poker-faced, smile and surprisingly strong grip of Clark Kent. I, I really enjoyed that moment. Um, how they would cut back and forth between what was going on with their hands and then the look on. <laughs> Clark's face, which you just can't read at all. It's great. Um, It's these kinds of character moments that remind me that the key to great Superman stories is getting Clark Kent right. Uh, When Clark Kent is neglected by writers, if they don't know what to do with him, then Superman is just a muscle-bound hero with a bald eagle on his shoulder. But when Clark Kent is used to his potential, Superman stories become the ultimate nerd fantasies they were originally conceived to be by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster when they created the character way back in the 30s. Um, we also see the beginning of the revamped origin for Metallo, which continues on in the uh, in issue number 6. Um, and then Superman is exposed to weaponized Kryptonite for the first time, uh, reestablishing again what its effects are on him, because sometimes that's been unclear over the years. Does it take away his powers? Does it just make him feel really terrible and just hurts a lot? Um, does it do a combination of both? And so uh, we kind of see what the status quo is for Kryptonite's effect on Superman uh, in, this, in this issue. And then finally, in issue number six, this issue focuses on establishing Superman's place in the world and uh, and among the public, particularly in Metropolis. They've been afraid of him throughout this miniseries, but in this story, they realize that he has their best interests at heart and they uh, and that he wants to help. But then they kind of turn to almost seeing him as their leader. They want him to be their leader now. And at this point, Superman says something that... Worded differently, I would appreciate a lot more. He essentially tells them not to look to him or Lex Luthor to solve all of their problems, but to enter into the work of solving problems themselves, both individually and for each other. It's a good message about being selfless and living well in community, but the wording he chooses presents this mode of life as the antithesis to uh, looking for a savior. One of the people on the street calls out to him, tell us, Superman, what do you want us to do? And he replies, I want you to stop looking for a great savior. Lex Luthor isn't it. I'm not it. You are. All of you are. I do what I do because I was given a gift, but all of you were given gifts too. Use them to make each other's lives better. Show the world that Metropolis has a heart. And then they have a Panel where people are just looking on in wide-eyed wonder and lois is just so lovingly gazing at him And then he very humbly says that's um, that's all I have to say, you know And then kind of moves on to some other things again. There are some good words there, but they Also reinforce a way of thinking that says we don't need someone to save us We don't need anyone to save us. We can save ourselves And that's just not ultimately true. For starters, we need uh, wisdom from an external, objectively true source of knowledge. In this situation, Metropolis wasn't going to get any better. They needed to hear Superman give them this little nugget of wisdom. They needed a source outside of themselves to correct and adjust their thinking and get them onto a better course. And so that's what we need. We just won't naturally course correct on our own. We need an, an objectively true source of knowledge that is better than Superman so that we know how to go about making each, other li- each other's lives better uh, instead of accidentally enabling unhealthy behavior in each other. And second, all the effort in the world still won't remove evil from planet earth. We we have no evidence suggesting that given enough time and enough effort, mankind as a whole will become increasingly more selfless and virtuous. Uh, To truly and fully deal with our selfishness, we need to be rescued by something or someone external to us uh, who is able to change who we naturally are. We, We just can't achieve that ourselves. Uh, We can achieve some things ourselves, you know, uh, in a sense, but uh, we're not going to be able to go all the way. And so for true salvation in the full sense, we do need to have a great savior. In a conversation between Superman and Lois uh, on the rooftop, she says, Superman, the world is an unbelievably tough place, and it's unfair and unjust and cynical. But you've shown me and everyone else in Metropolis that it doesn't have to be that way. Not if we can help one another however we can. It can be that simple, can't it? And he says, I think so. This can be a great planet, Lois, but making it great starts with each one of us. Unfortunately, no, it can't be that simple. Sometimes... Helping someone, as I uh, mentioned just a minute ago, enables unhealthy behavior patterns in them Uh, We need wisdom along with generous and selfless hearts But I do agree that our decision to be selfless can be a great start The question is why make that choice to be selfless when there is a good chance you will not be met with selflessness in return there's some core things that, that that are related to the motivation for our self our selflessness uh, that uh, that have to be in place. Otherwise, selflessness just won't happen. Jeff John seems to be grasping at a vision for a better world. Uh, I, I love that he's doing that in this series, but it is overly simplistic as represented here. And so we as readers have to fill in a lot of blanks when it comes to trying to execute on a plan to make the world around us better. So inspiring maybe for some uh but instructive not really in the pages of this story personally i think superman inspires best through his selfless actions and fails a bit when writers try to use him to inspire through his words. Uh, in those cases, he often ends up sounding preachy and just kind of off the mark. Um, that minor beat aside though, it's still a, a nice end to a great foundational introduction to, and celebration of the essence of who Superman is to me. Uh, Superman secret origin is coming back into print in trade paperback and will be available in July, 2018. I believe July 10th is the date that it becomes available on Amazon, uh, for $15 in print or $10 for the digital Kindle edition. Alright, that's it for now. Stay tuned for the next Essential Issues where I will be sharing my thoughts on what I think is the iconic foundational introduction to Batman. Scanning for Christian Geeks.
1: Subject located. Verifying status. Christian Geek status verified. Begin data transmission.
0: Your Christian Geek Radar covering the months of what would have been. I didn't do one last month. So it'd be March and April. We had some uh, book releases that I'm going to share with you guys. Not a ton. Uh, I'm going to tell you a place near the end where you can go to get more information about other releases that I'm not going to cover here. But the first one I want to point you to is called The Stars Entwined. This is a spacefaring sci-fi novel by John Del Arroz. The description, uh, this is book one of the Arishan War uh, series. So let's see here. It says the Arishan Empire and Earth are on the brink of of War. The Stars Entwined is the first installment in an epic space opera opera series by multiple award-nominated science fiction writer John Del Arroz. If you like Old Man's War by John Scalzi or Rogue World by B.V. Larson, then you'll love this epic adventure with action, intrigue, and an escalating interstellar war between galactic civilizations. After several recent attacks along the border of Arishan space, internal, internal affairs agent Sean Barrows is brought to Palmer station to ensure the interplanetary navies on the right track in their terrorism investigations. What he discovers could lead to the biggest war the galaxy has ever seen. Sean's work leads him to his most dangerous assignment yet— into the heart of Ereshan territory as a spy. Meanwhile, Ereshan commander Tamar is being groomed by the ruling committee to one day assume leadership of her people. First, she needs to prove herself in warship command. As tensions increase with Earth, Tamar finds herself increasingly isolated as one of the few in opposition to the war. Her troubles deepen when she comes face to face with a new member of her crew, the most intriguing man she's ever encountered. So that's The Stars Entwined, book one of the Arishan War series by John Del Arraz. Uh, next up, we've got book three in the, uh, what is this series called? The the Darkwater Saga. Um, and it's called The Wounded Shadow. It's by Patrick W. Carr, and that's Carr with two R's. C-A-R-R. Uh, but actually, I'm assuming you're not uh, familiar with the series, and so I'm just I'll just say book three is out, but let me introduce you to the series by reading the description for book one, which is called The Shock of Night, again by Patrick W. Carr. The description reads, When one man is brutally murdered and the priest he works for mortally wounded on the streets of Bunard, Willet Dura is called to investigate. Yet the clues to the crime lead to contradictions and questions without answers. As Willet begins to question the dying priest, the man pulls Willet close and screams in a foreign tongue. Then he dies without another word. Willett returns to the city, no closer to answers than before, but his senses are skewed. People he touches appear to have a subtle shift, a twist, seen at the edge of his vision, and it's as though he can see their deepest thoughts. In a world divided between haves and have-nots, gifted and common, Willet soon learns he's been passed the rarest gift of all, a gift that's not supposed to exist. Now Willet must pursue the murderer still on the loose in Bunard even as he's pulled into a much more dangerous and epic conflict that threatens not only his city, but his entire world, a conflict that will force him to come to terms with his own tortured past if he wants to survive." So that's uh, The Shock of Night by Patrick W. Carr. Book three of that series is out, and then The Shock of Night is book one in that series. And if you go to his website at patrickwcar.com, there's also a short novella that serves as an introduction to the series that you can uh, download for free. All right, moving on. Lindsay A. Franklin. Or do you say, when it's spelled with an A, L-I-N-D-S-A, do you say Lindsay? Lindsay? I I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say Lindsay... That's just... I don't know. That just occurred to me just now. (laughs) Anyway. Lindsay A. Franklin. I'm going to go with the Lindsay. Just say it fast, Peter. Just say it (laughs) fast and no one will notice. Um... The Story Peddler, The Story Peddler is the name of the book, and uh, this is from Enclave Publishing. The description reads, Selling stories is a deadly business. Tanwin doesn't just tell stories. She weaves them into crystallized sculptures that sell for more than a few bits. But the only way to escape the control of her cruel mentor and claw her way from poverty is to set her sights on something grander, becoming royal storyteller to the king. During her final story-peddling tour, a tale of treason spills from her hands, threatening the king himself. Tanwen goes from peddler to prey as the king's guard hunts her down, and they're not known for their mercy. As Tanwen flees for her life, she unearths long-buried secrets and discovers she's not the only outlaw in the empire. There's a rebel group of weavers, and they're after her too. So that is The Story Peddler by Lindsay A. Franklin. Uh, More information at enclavepublishing.com. And then uh, next up... We've got uh, book three of the Space Drifters series by Paul, I want to say Rainier. It's R-E-G-N-I-E-R. R-E-G-N-I-E-R. Uh, book three is called The Ghost Ship in the Space Drifters series. But again, uh, I'm assuming you're not familiar with the series, so I'm going to read the description for book one, which is called The Emerald Enigma, book one of the Space Drifters series by Paul Rainier. But Regnier, if you... <laughs> <laughs> Go with uh, a terrible pronunciation that is undoubtedly incorrect. R E G N I E R. I'm allowed to kind of be terrible at pronouncing people's names. I got stuck with Pater. <laughs> It was always an adventure to get substitute teachers. (laughs) All right, so the description for The Emerald Enigma by Paul Rainier, book one of the Space Drifters series, reads, Space heroes or cosmic rejects? Captain Glint Starcrossed is not having the carefree, adventurous life the Space Academy brochures promised star pilots. Broke... With an unreliable star freighter and a bounty on his head, Glint is desperate enough to try anything, even set out on a quest to find a fabled good luck charm, the Emerald Enigma. Now for a crew. A passive-aggressive ship computer, a peaceable alien warrior, and time-traveling teen from the past aren't what he had in mind, but they'll have to do. The Emerald Enigma won't wait forever, and neither will the bounty hunter tracking him. So again, that's book one in the Space Drifters series titled The Emerald Enigma by Paul, R-E-G-N-I-E-R. More info at EnclavePublishing.com. Finally, Shivering World by Kathy... Crap, she's been around for a while. I should know how her last name is pronounced. It's either Tires or Tears. T-Y-E-R-S. She wrote the Firebird series, which she's among kind of like the first voices out there in uh, uh, in Christian science fiction. Anyway, Shivering World is Kathy Tears... Tires... <laughs> <laughs> latest book. Uh, also from Enclave Publishing, the description reads, Microbiologist Gracia Brady Phillips accepts a hazardous position assisting in terraforming the planet Goddard, partly to get out of debt and partly... In desperate hope, there's a chance that the colonists are conducting illegal genetic research which could provide a cure for the genetic disorder slowly killing her. But genetic engineering is banned by the powerful eugenics board, and Gracia is the daughter of the board's high commissioner. When the colonists colonists discover her connection, she is ostracized, for the possible penalties for conducting their radical research include death. Gracia tries to pursue her profession and befriend the colonists, but soon she is dodging attempts on her life. When her new world is pushed to the brink, Gracia must decide what she will cling to. Again, that's Shivering World by Kathy. T-Y-E-R-S, over at uh, Enclave Publishing. You can get uh, more information at EnclavePublishing.com. right, so not a ton of books to share with you guys this week. Uh, A great resource, my primary, my first stop, basically, uh, before I kind of check out some of the other resources that I will sometimes go to to get new book news, is uh, Adam Collings. YouTube user Adam Collings. Um, He is, you're going to find in his monthly videos, also some stuff that I don't include. Stuff from maybe uh, uh, lesser-known authors um, or self-published authors. Also some some stuff that is uh, what do you call it? It's not flash fiction, but it's like serialized, usually digital only, and like short fiction, like little novellas or something like maybe just 30 pages long that are part of like a a serialized story and stuff. I usually don't cover those types of books, but Adam does, and so if you really want to take a deeper dive into the world of what's coming from uh, Christian sci-fi fantasy and horror authors and that kind of stuff, go check out YouTube user Adam Collings. And of course, you can also check out our growing list of authors over at ChristianGeekCentral.com Feedback! Feedback! Give me your thoughts on this podcast, Christian Geek Central, the YouTube channel, or anything else we're doing. What should we keep? Or what should we change? Or what's on your mind you'd like a potentially uninformed opinion on? We want to make this show and all of Christian Geek Central as fun and useful as we can, but we have to hear from you to do that. You can send an email or audio file recorded on your phone to PA p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com that would also be another way you could tell me uh, your thoughts on uh, what we do with our community whether we uh, keep it at forum motion or if we uh, move it over to Facebook or do something different so anyway p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com if you want to get in touch with me for any reason uh, as and as a reminder if you would like some help finding a good church in your area, I want to help you if I can. Online resources and communities are a good supplement but they, by nature, cannot speak to your particular situation like relationships, ongoing relationships in a local church. Uh, The context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we are serving and building purposeful, ongoing relationships in a local church. So, whether you're in a church that just kind of lacks Bible-based intentionality or not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic, Bible Bible-oriented church, I want to do that. You can email me again at p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com and we can start by just trying to look at some websites of churches in your area together. Uh, I think that's it. Stay tuned for DS9 Swarma after the credits or jump back to episode 400 if you want to start from the beginning. As a reminder, you can find episodes 0 through 500 of this podcast archived as the Spirit Blade Underground podcast at spiritblade.com. Next week, if God allows it, there will be a podcast. I, beyond that, I don't don't know a lot of particulars. I'm thinking of, of either reviewing the horror movie Slender Man um, or maybe Samson, probably not, um, or maybe more likely if I don't review Slender Man, I'll do uh, another Essential Issues segment. So uh, that's what I'm thinking right now. Till then, please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions by purchasing an audio drama, leaving a donation, or becoming a Spirit Blade insider. You can get more information from our About page at Spiritblade.com. Thank you guys so much for making time for this show. I hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth.
1: The Christian Geek Central podcast is a community supported the endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Peter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at ChristianGeekCentral.com for information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit spiritblade.com. Thank you for listening. Something's coming through the wormhole.
0: The Dominion has endured for 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumbled into dust. Five years ago, no one had ever heard of Bajor or Deep Space Nine. And now, all our hopes rest here.
2: And that was The Darkness and the Light, one of Deep Space Nine's many long, cumbersome titles. Um, but this is a pretty good episode, I thought. Um, certainly not a standout one, but honestly, on a show like Voyager or Deep Space Nine, this would have been a standout. It's just Deep Space Nine, this is fairly par for the course.
1: Well, and I'll, I'll say this, it's another one that lifts right out. That if you just want to watch just this episode...
2: Well, except for that a couple characters we've seen before do die. So, True. Although we never what see I'm them again. You don't,
1: but... you don't need to know any information going in. All the information yeah. you need is given to you.
2: Yeah, because the, the character... Yeah. Oh, I see what you mean when you say left out. You, I thought you meant you that you to, didn't have to watch it. If you
1: want to just test drive this one... Yeah,
2: yeah, this, you're, you're right. Yeah, you This would do that. This would be a good episode to drop in and test. And Pater especially, I think you would like this because there's a lot of emotional intensity. This is very character-driven. And it goes into some dark places. See, it, to use your term... This has a lot of sweat stains in it. Yeah. In fact, that's kind of the driving point: is good guys who do bad things. Um, the story begins where uh, we see some guy get killed during a uh, monk ceremony,
1: some some Bajoran religious thing.
2: And uh, Kira gets the word, and it turns out he was a friend of hers back from when she was in the resistance fighting the Cardassians. And then she she gets a message, and we find out quickly. Uh, very, several of her old resistance friends are being targeted one by one, and they're sending her, like, little mocking messages after they kill them, and so we see over and over again, she's trying to save people, um, we see some people that have been in the show in the past, so, uh, there's some continuity there, and so there's some real stakes, because I won't give things away, but there are people who do die in this show that we've seen before. Um... It's just it's, it's all about putting Kira through the ringer And I'll also grant this This episode, while you could have altered it It would have to be significantly altered To have anywhere near the meaning it does Here where Kira is pregnant And yeah, that was them like, Taking a, good advantage of their situation A
1: large part of the story They're, they're doing a good job squeezing the lemon Of the premise
2: Yeah, they, They've done several concepts and scenarios Whether it be jokes or very. This is a very serious story where yeah. Kira's pregnancy it's it's not I mean, this just it
1: clearly wasn't a situation they planned for. Yeah. You know, because it was the actress got pregnant and they had to ride around it. Yeah.
2: They did they yeah. they really made use of it. Unfortunately the next episode she gives birth and that's really lame, but we'll get to that in the next one. Yeah. Um this is, i don't want to give things away because there's some good twists in this and there's especially a really good Chekhov's gun that you that Kim and I we have seen this one several times, so we knew it was coming. But we're still appreciating. It's like, well, if you don't know, it's like, oh, that's well done. Um, about the only thing I'd say is a real. There's two things I thought were bad about this episode. The who when when we find out who's been doing this, he's very weirdly melodramatic at times, and I get that he's supposed to be kind of half crazed because he's going on this vendetta. You know. He
1: does this, narrates
2: everything. Yeah, he's narrating everything third person. It's like, yeah. you know, oh, the creature fears the light and wants to go back into the dark. But it won't go into the dark because it is I have trapped it in the light. And that's really annoying, is it not? And it reminded me of a Family Guy gag. And that's not good when it's supposed to be your dramatic climax. Yeah. You should not be thinking of Peter Griffin. Um <laughs> But when, when you can get past that, you know, it, it feels like a Buffalo Bill thing. It puts a lotion on its skin, only it's about being manic rather than, But, you know, it's a minor thing, but it is. I, I find it off putting. And the very end, because one of the main crux of this is Kira being uh, uh, hit with the full reality that while she was fighting against the Cardassian invasion, she hurt innocent people. And that's inevitable to the kind of. Well, they they actually call it terrorism. They, you know, this is before 9/11, so they, the word wasn't such a dirty word as it, it is now. It wasn't as
1: charged as it is now. You know?
2: But and she was a terrorist because you put a bomb. They put a bomb outside a guy's window to kill him, and yeah, he might have been a military leader, but
1: he was a scumbag. But he also had a family exactly. and servants, and you know.
2: and then it blew up most of the building, and you know, and that's the thing is all this stuff. And Kira has never shown a whole lot of. Uh, Regret over that. I mean, she's talked about, you know, there are things I've done I'm not proud of, etc., but she doesn't always really seem racked by guilt, and that's really what this is about. Is and, and so they're so they are debating about, you know, she's saying none of you belonged here, you know, it'd be like in an, an, an alien invasion like Independence Day, you know, surely some of those aliens that were on those ships were just workers, or like the Death Star, same thing that's been brought up many times before is how many non military people died on the Death Star, thanks to Luke Skywalker. And that's something that if you're going to actually... You can either do the Star Wars thing and just go with good and evil, and it's a simple, basic story, or you can do like Deep Space Nine and get into the nuts and bolts and the nitty-gritty.
1: You can get in deep and explore all the moral yeah. implications
2: and, there. And acknowledge that things can be gray and difficult.
1: And complex.
2: But the, the very end... They were doing a good job until the very end when Kira could have just like... Uh, uh, she could have just like summed it up in a vague way, but she basically summed it up and said, And here's the lesson is the lesson was I was still right. It's
1: a little too on the nose.
2: And it was just a little, you just, you push too far. And I, it would have been better if you stopped right when she made it vague and just fade away. And also, they used what I think is a very tired and ina- inadequate metaphor about, you know, uh, the li- the light can't exist without the darkness and that shines in the darkness. And it's like, but when you're using darkness and light as metaphors, for morality, that doesn't work. You can't say, "Oh, well, we can only be good when there's a lot of evil around us." It's like I can o- I can only love my baby when someone else has been beating my baby. It's like no, that doesn't work morally. And there are people who take that metaphor and apply it morally, and they basically use that as excuse to say, uh, "It's you know,
1: okay that evil exists." Yeah, we
2: yeah. need we need the devil, or else we couldn't have God and garbage like that. And that's just no. Yeah, darkness and light need each other to exist, and darkness and light make for good moral metaphors, but not when you stretch it that far. And this episode does that, and I've seen all the time people use that metaphor, and because it applies to the metaphor, they think it therefore applies to the original abstraction, and that does not.
1: And that's the danger of metaphors.
2: Yes, you've got to know when to stop your metaphor you know there there's a reason it's a metaphor it's not exactly the same thing otherwise Actually, it would be a metaphor I can
1: speech anytime I want to
2: <laughs> but still I don't have a problem. those are quibble points those are nitpicks uh this is a pretty good episode there's a lot of good subtlety um I'll just say there's one point at which uh Odo is worried someone's going to do something and if you know and it, it's based purely in character and so Odo comes back into his office after this person has left but uh this person accessed Odo's computer, and most people wouldn't even notice because he wasn't there. He wasn't watching anything. He comes in and he sees that his chair is turned around, and because we know Odo is very fastidious and OCD and detail-oriented as a former changeling, it makes perfect sense. And it, they don't. They don't say he doesn't sit there and say, "I would know if someone who just he, he sees yeah, his chair."
1: They don't. They don't feel the need to explain it to you. You just see him. Look at the chair, kind of turn it slightly, and he checks his look computer panel. And yeah, right away he realizes and, what's happening. And
2: it's 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 well done because if you don't know the character, you can probably still figure out what's going on, you know. But the more you know the character, the more it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that, again, that's just this kind of show, like this and Babylon Five. These the shows with all this continuity in it. That's where it really pays off is in moments like that. But. Uh, yeah, that's about it. This is a pretty good episode, and it's a good one to wet your feet on this if you want to explore one of their darker stories, but you don't want to be wrapped up in a bunch of continuity you haven't seen.
1: Yeah, definitely recommend
2: it. Because it is. It's an investment if you want to get to this point through the continuity, and this would be a good way to test whether the investment is worth it. Um, yeah, not much more to say. Next time, we'll see Kira give birth, and Oda will have a major change. And the Kira story is garbage, but the Odo story is good. Plus we get to see James and again, and I love him. We'll see you then.